Welcome to Praxis Behind the Obscure podcast, and today I have a very special guest. I have Reverend Zimion, who is an author and has a really, really cool book that um, I actually saw on the Fool Foolish Fish YouTube channel. Just looks absolutely amazing and figured it'd be a good chance to have you on today. And you also um, are the founder of the Church of Flesh Together, which uh, I'm a member of on Facebook as well. So can you uh, introduce yourself to the audience and Give us sort of a brief explanation on how you got interested in the esoteric and the occult in general. Sure, my name is Zemiemi Jehuti, and uh, I guess this path for me started in childhood. I was surrounded by people who insisted I be religious, uh, though they themselves weren't practicing any sort of a religion. So I always had this uh, guilt for not acknowledging any God. Um, I always felt like I wanted to, but I didn't know how. And uh, I basically started to explore the esoteric world a little bit. Uh, and I was drawn to it, and it led me to the PGM, or the Greek Magical Papyri. In that, um, there are countless gods and spirits, um, all of whom I explored relationships with, almost none of which seemed to um, fit uh, until I found Hecate. Um, though I was drawn to her, I couldn't relate to her. There was still some sort of a barrier between her and I. And one day I was reading a book uh, about her uh, ancient religious following, uh, and I had what I can only describe as being a profound epiphany. Um, I do feel that I was led to devotion of Thoth uh, through my exploration of Hecate, and when I found Thoth, everything just kind of fell into place. Uh, I figured out how to believe in God. I figured out how to uh, kind of control my own fate. Uh, I started rebuilding my whole entire life for 15 years, half of my life. I've wanted to be an author. Um, through my devotion uh, to Thoth, I have found incredible publishing opportunities. I have found opportunities to speak all over the country to people all over the world um and i've i basically i've just been able to explore my passions so i feel like i have found my calling i feel like to thank the power that i call thoth uh that led me to this i was to establish something to venerate him so i built a shrine in my house uh that mm -hmm. sort of grew. Uh, I started performing uh, rituals and devotional services in person, um, just kind of around the country. Uh, COVID kind of shut all that down, so I went online. And um, as soon as I got online, everything just kind of started blowing up, so. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, so you got interested through basically the Greek magical papyri, and actually I saw you on um, Jack Rail's channel. So 
Um, were you also um, in contact with him or did you go through his course? Because uh, I'm currently taking that right now. So um, was that sort of one of your gateways into um, uh, working with Thoth as well? Uh, yeah, kind of. Which class are you taking of his? The Hecate one or the 50 rights for 50 nights PGM class? Uh, the PGM class. Um, it's actually, it's kind of, it's kind of psychedelic. Uh, so mm -hmm. Jack Grail, um, who of course published the Hecation, uh, Samuel David, who had, is about to publish a book with Anathema um, about Sumerian devotional practices in the modern world, and myself, mm -hmm. uh, all live in the same town, which oh, is wow. exceptionally rare, yeah. And we all <laughs> just sort of found each other. And uh, so Jack's Hecate class, sort of a, an early, um, uh, what's the word? Sort of an early version of Jack's Hecate class. Uh, mm -hmm. We actually just kind of experienced in his basement. So we all sort of inspired each other and pushed each other. And now we're all coming up together. It's a, it's really cool. It's a lot of fun. It's a very rewarding experience. Mm, so Jack is kind of like. Oh, sorry. Oh, uh, what what city are you guys in, by the way? Oh, uh, we're uh, just out. We're about four hours outside of Chicago. Uh, nobody knows. Nobody's ever heard of the city we live in, so we just kind of <laughs> leave it at <laughs> a few hours outside of Chicago. Okay, that sounds cool. It just uh, sounds like a big synchronicity, right, in a way. And there's uh, some guerrilla occultists out in some area outside of Chicago, and you know, you guys are making um, uh, making big waves across the occult community, so it's pretty cool to see. Definitely cool to yeah, see. It's, ex um, it's exceptionally mm -hmm. rare that uh, people in this community find each other in the real world. We're starting to notice, and mm -hmm. it's except it's even more rare that people as devoted as we are find each other in the real world. So, yeah, it really does kind of seem like fate brought us together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, cool. So what are your current practices and, uh, you know, what practices do you do regularly and why do you do them? And um, I'm curious how your uh, overall, you know, practices and devotions have developed over time. Well, as I started to research further into the, uh, the cultic following, of Thoth and various Egyptian gods, uh, I kind of started to realize that every cos every cosmology was sort of unique to that specific group. Um, they all served different functions, uh, and it would only make sense the modern world, the modern United States, would need its own. So I've sort of started what I refer to as the modern mystery tradition of Thoth. Uh, so we have our own cosmology that describes the establishing of creation, everything. Uh, and then my daily practice is I wake up um, and I sit in shrine at five in the morning and pray, give offerings, uh, and then again at noon, 
and once more at midnight. Uh, I acknowledge most lunar holidays. Um, and then, I'm sorry, what's that? Oh, actually, now that you mention it, um, you mentioned that you acknowledge lunar holidays. That was actually one thing I was curious about. Um, and, and as far as like the Egyptian, um, like in general, Egyptian magic and the Egyptian practices, I believe they had their own kind of unique calendar too, right? Was that a lunar calendar or what? What? Um, I, I really don't know much about it, but uh, maybe if you knew something about it, that'd be interesting to hear. Yeah, well, the Egyptians had uh, a few calendars and it just kind of depended where and when you were, which one you used. Um, and that extends all the way up to Coptic Christianity in Egypt. The Coptic Church has um, their own version of the ancient Egyptian calendars. Uh, I personally, just because, you know, it's 2021, mm -hmm. um, my kind of day-to-day -day life, I use just the, you know, Gregorian calendar with which everyone's familiar. But then for my spiritual practice, I have developed a modified Coptic calendar, uh, which I'm actually um, going to be publishing sometime in the next couple of months with Thayan Publishing, uh, the people awesome. who just, yeah, who just published the book of Flesh and Feather. Um, we're going to be publishing the Litanies of Thoth, uh, which is that modified calendar. Um, a number of holidays. Um, I was born into a family with no traditions of any sort. Uh, in fact, for, well, up until two years ago, I wasn't even able to track my family's lineage beyond my grandparents. Um, so I had to kind of develop everything myself, especially when the baby came. Uh, so, you know, I had to have something into which she could be born. So, yeah, I've got all my own holidays, all of our own saints, uh, and then as well as 365 prayers, uh, which I wrote over the course of three days in a manic whirlwind of spiritual ecstasy. Mm, that so that's awesome. going to be exciting. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'm very this, fortunate uh, to have found Than. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, this calendar, this is going to be like a. Um, did you mention it's like a little book, or it's sort of um, uh, what what format will this be in? Oh well, yeah. I'm very fortunate to have found Than because they seem to understand uh, exactly my image. Uh, if not understand it they're capable of one-upping what's in my mind so um, <laughs> I'm I'm hoping that this book will be printed in sort of uh, are you familiar with uh, the Gideons who leave Bibles and psalm books everywhere oh yeah of course yeah in the um, uh, like the motel sixes all across the country right yeah uh -huh. yeah um, I'm hoping to have it sort of produced about the size of their psalm book so you could just fit it in your pocket but there are some logistical considerations that i don't have yet so we'll see but either way it's going to be uh, a very exciting book to have and it'll be substantially smaller than the book of flesh and feather at, at any rate <laughs> oh sure yeah it looks like uh, quite a big book and 
You know, it's very rare that I see, um, you know, Foolish Fish reviews a lot of books, and I also, you know, I have a fair amount of occult books here myself, but uh, it's very rare that I see a book and I'm sort of blown away by the overall presentation and quality and, you know, the overall setup of the book, I guess you would say, or the way it's laid out. And uh, yeah, it looks like they did, you know, you, of course, along with the publisher, just did an incredible job with this. So um I, I'm happy to spread the word about it and definitely look forward to grabbing it myself as well. Um, so, yeah, I noticed also just from watching some of your videos and uh, heard you on a couple podcasts that you seem to be very open minded. You do have your own specific uh, practice and your own specific church that you founded and, um, you know, you're developing as you go along. But you also seem to be at the same time not dogmatic or you know, very open-minded, very eclectic in your approach. Why do you think that that's an important thing? Uh, well, like I said, growing up, I was just sort of surrounded by people who tried to shove God down my throat, but didn't actually show me how to accept or believe in God. So I was just sort of getting beaten over the head by religious devotion that I just couldn't figure out. Uh, I spent a lot of time exploring various uh, religions across the world, and I've even um, had the privilege of experiencing a number of them firsthand. Uh, and I just kind of started to realize the things that separate these religions are entirely human. And if you look at some of these religions from the perspective of a practitioner, you'll find that to be true. There are a number of religions that uh, claim that their various gods are just emanating from one you know, sort of unified power. And I sort of feel that that is probably the best way to approach God. Um, it doesn't matter what name you assign God, so long as your devotion lies in something bigger and outside of yourself, it is valid. So while I personally call the God in the shrine in my house Thoth, you could just as easily look at that baboon and call that God, you know, Ganesha or, you know, whatever. Um, so... I wanted this temple to be sort of the resource I did not have growing up. Growing up, I wanted to believe in God, like I said, uh, but just nobody could show me how, nobody could convince me, nobody could give me resources. So um, this God represents whatever God you need it to, basically. Um, we call him both, but again, it could be anything. So. Um, I'm hoping to provide community for people uh, to explore their own religious devotions. And you don't even have to come to us believing in God. You don't have to leave us believing in God. We're just here for you if you, if you need us. And then in the meantime, I mean, we're basically a fully functional temple. We, mm -hmm. I mean, I officiate weddings. Um, I can perform oh, wow. funeral services. Uh, I provide a number of different 
divination services, um, amulets, phylacteries, instances, natron. I mean, we're a fully functional temple. Eventually, we would like to get a physical brick and mortar space so we can also include a sleep temple um, or a little bit, a slightly more developed sleep temple. We do have sleep temple services. In ancient Egypt, uh, a sleep temple would basically be where a person would go. It's sort of a designated area in a temple complex that a person would go and be led into trance to receive visions. Um, a priest would then interpret those visions. Um, I basically, st I, I started a similar service. I, hold on. Kind of like a, uh, chain, like a, mm -hmm. oh, it's okay. Uh, like sort of like a chamber of initiation, right? No, not exactly. Uh, because this, the sleep temple's open to anyone. You don't have to practice okay. with us or anything. Uh, but mm -hmm. I just, I record these vowel intonations, which, well, again, if anyone's ever flipped through the Greek magical papyri, I'm sure you've seen all of these long strings of vowels, and even more so in various Coptic texts. Uh, I basically just kind of interpreted those to be songs or chants. So I chant, uh, and then I upload them up to Spotify, the Sleep Temple of Tehuti. Uh, and so, you know, you can listen to those as you're drifting off to sleep. Um, if you receive a dream, you can get a hold of me, and I can either use ancient Egyptian dream divination or just interpret the dream depending on what you want. Hmm. But again, if we have a physical brick-and-mortar space, we can actually put a couple of cots in there and do it in person, and it'd be pretty psychedelic. But then we could also maintain, you know, various shrines to whichever gods find their way into our into our space so that's the kind of the goal in the long run we'll see how that works out that sounds awesome you mentioned this is on um spotify you have some of these recordings on spotify yeah yeah and it's kind of okay. funny uh they all last about an hour and i don't have a whole lot of instruments anymore uh i've got a steel tongue drum and a bell so mm -hmm. My wife and I and our baby live in an apartment right now, so I can't imagine what the people living above and below us must think I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I enjoy them quite a bit. Mm, okay, awesome. Sounds great. Um, you did mention, uh, to kind of uh, backtrack a little bit, you did mention that, you know, God may have a thousand faces and, um, you know, sort of whatever appeals to you and whatever sort of resonates with you. but um, I think Thoth in particular, Tehuti, is a, a face of God, if you would call it that, that really resonates with quite a lot of people and has, you know, quite a presence, right? Like, um, do you, why do you think that, you know, if you look at, you know, Western Hermeticism and, you know, um, all throughout the ancient world and a lot of occult practices and what have you, I mean, Thoth is one of the major figures, right? If not one of the the most major of all figures. Why do you think that Thoth um, in general, or Tehuti in general, has so much appeal? Well, there are, <clears throat> sorry, there are dozens of epithets assigned to Jehuti. Uh, but if you look at 
a lot of them can be applied to any god. Most of them have been applied to multiple gods. Um, the ones that are you are unique to Jehuti are ones that um, associate him with the written and spoken word, with arts, with scribes, so specifically communication and knowledge. I think he kind of found his way into the occult and esoteric community through his associations with knowledge. Uh, he is, as the god of knowledge, he is the seeking out of hidden information. He is the reception of that information. And then likewise, as the god of communication, he is the one that we find when we actually you know, he's the one we approach when we actually find these sources, when we find a community in which we can talk about all of these crazy books and all of this secret knowledge. You know, again, that is an epiphany of him. Mm -hmm. okay. So, I don't know, I think it's just kind of uh, natural, I guess, that he would find his way. Not only that, but he's got uh, all of these associations with foreigners. Um, can't remember off the top of my head, but he's uh, referred to as the god of foreign lands, uh, mm -hmm. as well as um, uh, he who distinguishes the tongues of every lands. So not mm -hmm. only, you know, does he have those other associations, but he's also kind of got this, uh, this tendency to kind of drift all over the world. He's not specific to one location. Uh, which is why he you know, found his way into the ancient Hellenic religions, into the Roman world. That's why his name continues into the Coptic church, which is Christianity. Um, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you find him uh, all over, you know. So, uh, yeah, there's a uh, there's an interesting book that I haven't read that I'll have to get around reading. I'm not sure if you heard of it. It's called, um, or probably you have. It's, I think it's called the uh, Egyptian Hermes. Have you heard of this book? Oh, by um, is that by Boylan? I think so. I can't remember offhand, but I have a friend that uh, uh, really recommended it. it. Looks quite interesting, but sort of how um, you know, sort of sort of how Thoth. Um, you know, evolved and not necessarily evolved, but sort of made appearances through, like you mentioned, the Hellenic world. And yeah, I, I can't really fully comment on it because I haven't read it, but it sounds like a very yeah. interesting so, one. The Hermes of uh, Egypt, a study of some aspects of theological thought in ancient Egypt. That's actually uh, the source on Oxford University Press. That book actually has a huge list of epithets, which include where they were mentioned, which is um, an incredible resource to have. Okay, awesome. Um, speaking of books, your current book, what was, I'm curious, what was the like overall inspiration behind it? And um, what sort of practices are in it? Who would you say overall to is um, like the target audience for your book and what what is sort of included in it? I mean, you don't need to go in, obviously you get the book and you find what's included, but um, just kind of curious of like an overall um like who, who would you say it's aimed for and what are the um like the general practices or contents in it uh well as i developed my 
religious beliefs uh, in regards to devotion to Thoth, I kind of started to realize the ancient Egyptians had no separation between religion, science, art, and magic. Nowadays, people refer to ancient Egyptian magic as Hika, but that is <laughs> shamefully oversimplified. Hika mm -hmm. is, uh, yeah, it's the sciences, it's art, it's you know, kind of almost everything we use to communicate what we understand to be true. Um, mm. There is no separation. So as I started to deepen my devotion to Thoth, I started to understand certain <clears throat> principles to be true, certain principles to be guiding my life and my devotion to him. So as my spiritual beliefs began to unfold, as did the Hika that opened them up. So it's actually kind of weird. Um, the books that I am publishing, while I am very fortunate that they are finding a bigger and bigger audience, I, I'm kind of really only publishing them for myself and <laughs> to be offerings to Jehuti. Um, as I find certain things to be true, I will write it in a book and it will get published. So again, I'm very happy that people are finding the information useful, but uh, to be totally honest with you, <laughs> the books are being published for my own use. Uh, that being said though, they are uh, a cult in nature. So the information isn't going to be completely open. I mean, you do have to form a relationship with the work uh, and kind of let it open itself up to you. Uh, so the target target audience, I mean, I don't know. There's not really a target audience, but it could be anybody that anybody who finds it useful in their life. The Book of Flesh and Feather was basically written to be sort of like an act of deconstruction. It it mm -hmm. is sort of works to pick apart my life and everything I thought to be true and everything I worked really hard to try to convince myself was true and then mm -hmm. reestablish it in a way that I find that I find now to be true. When mm -hmm. I found Jehuti, when I had that epiphany of him uh, by a pond in rural Missouri, um, he came as a glossy ibis clutching a snake in his beak. It was very dramatic, uh, but a beautiful experience. I was in the middle of a nervous breakdown, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, so he came in, he came in chaos. So the first step in this, well, magical practice praxis that I'm developing is mm -hmm. dissolve into chaos, um, remove all meaning from everything and allow all of existence to flow around you in fractured little pieces so that you can collect them and rebuild them in a way that makes sense to you. So this book was written with that principle in mind that everything you know to be true is to be taken apart and rebuilt. So because that is true, uh, there are a lot of disjointed sentences. I utilize the whole entire page uh, to sort of tell this story. Um, 
with the hopes that it will inspire movement. The words kind of flow across the page and down the page. So as mm -hmm. you read it, at the very least, your head starts to move back and forth. You kind of start to rock at the waist a little bit. There's mm -hmm. a certain element of ecstasy that seems to get lost most of the time now uh, to people practicing ancient religions now. Mm -hmm. uh, one of those is this idea of, you know, building yourself into this fury where your whole entire body is in this, in this experience. So mm -hmm. and that is what I'm kind of trying to um, build up in this. Yeah, awesome. It looks like, um... Uh, from what I've seen on the YouTube video by Foolish Fish, it looks like it's a, definitely like an experience in itself. It's not like a book that you just pick up and read like a normal book in that regard, but it's a whole sensory and um, it looks like it uses a lot of different approaches to get you out of maybe like lin your linear mind in a way, right? Like there's all kinds yeah. of, like you said, the way the um, the uh, sentences and um, uh, different uh, symbols are laid out on the page, it isn't like a normal left to right, uh, you know, what would you say? Um, it's not like measured out in a normal way. It's like, it, it, it definitely gets you maybe into like a chaotic state or, you know, sort of, sort of out of perhaps your normal linear thought process. Would you say yeah, that's pretty I accurate? The book, mm -hmm. I wrote the book with uh, a rhythm in mind, if that makes any sense. So uh, the text has a certain rhythmic quality. So not only does your body kind of start to move as you read the words, uh, mm -hmm. but you kind of find yourself, your body sort of syncing up subconsciously to the words as well. So, mm -hmm. I mean, once you get in it, take the book wherever you want. I mean, continue certain sentences, certain ideas, um, you know, make it whatever you need it to be once you figure out how to connect with it. You know what I mean? Sure, sure, sure. I like that because um, I have a couple friends that are a part of this, uh, this writing movement called Neo Decadence, and they write books very much in a way that sort of like how your book appears, that it's just not conventional in the way that it takes you on an experience. It's not just a normal you know, I mean, there are a lot of occult books coming out, right? And that can be sort of formulaic or very similar in many ways, right? Whereas, like, it's sort of a, um, this looks sort of very, very innovative and very experiential. And it's not necessarily just like the same old, you know, it's not like another, um, you know, romantic novel or, you know, same old occult book in a way, but it's really meant to um, sort of bring the reader along you know, on this journey, right? That's what it, that's what it really looks like. And so, I mean, it's not it's not often that I'm like extremely impressed by videos of cult books, but definitely yours caught my eye quite a bit. So, um, yeah, very very yeah, I interesting. I can't believe that foolish fish. I can't believe that foolish fish review. That was totally mind blowing. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, think he... I can't believe that my words are being treated with such reverence. It's. Uh, Mm -hmm. deeply humbling experience oh yeah and i think he has the uh he probably has the biggest um like youtube channel on um occult book reviews and so i'm sure yeah, that like video alone is thousands yeah oh, i geez. would certainly yeah. think so <laughs>
Yeah, that's kind of really spread the word for sure, you know, after uh, yeah. after he published that. So that's yeah, definitely a good thing. Um, okay. Um, I know that you have your own community. Um, I saw it on Facebook. I uh, joined the Facebook group, which is called the Church of Flesh and Feather. And I uh, noticed you do some live streams, some weekly live streams, right? And so um, what are, you know, how can people find this and what, what sort of uh, what's it what's included in the community like this is as you mentioned you know because we have uh, COVID nineteen you do have this Facebook community and these streams that you do but uh, I'm curious a little bit about um, like what what stuff you include in the streams and then also um, are there like separate in person events that are happening or do you have plans for those after um, well I mean I started doing all this stuff in person. And I never thought to put it online until COVID happened. And I kind of got shut up inside of my apartment. So I went to online. So once the world opens back up, I mean, I'll definitely go back out and start doing it. There's something deeply rewarding about experiencing all of this stuff with a group of people, a bunch of like-minded people where you can kind of relax and open up and allow yourself to be comfortable uh, being religiously devoted. Uh, mm -hmm. This community also helps to sort of, you know, soften that blow. You'd be surprised how many people seem uncomfortable with the idea of devoting themselves to a god or even acknowledging gods, especially in the occult community. I mean, we all talk so much about spirits and gods, but we don't devote ourselves to them. We just sort of, you know, utilize their gifts. Um, but we don't really do that much in our day-to-day -day life to thank them. So this kind of helps people become a little more comfortable with the idea. Sure, that's a good point. Yeah, it's sort of um, uh, sort of like a bhakti yoga approach, a devotional. Like in the East, this is quite common with uh, like in Hinduism and uh, Eastern religions that they're very, a lot of devotional practices, right? And so, yeah, yeah that's a Point. Sort of in Western practice, there seems to be, um, I don't know what you would say, maybe a void or a hole that, uh, you know, a lot of people are, think more along the lines of what can I get rather than sort of surrendering over to, um, you know, a deity or, deity or whatnot, right? Definitely. I don't know if this is controversial or not to say, but for my own observations, the impression I get is that most people, well, at least in the United States, mm -hmm. don't seem to be devoting themselves to a god, but rather their own image uh, in a divine context. Uh, <laughs> so they're sort of worshipping their own image, they're worshipping their own pride, and then yeah, only acknowledging uh, god when, well, usually only when bad things happen everybody's so quick to say oh why god why have you done this but people are reluctant to thank god for the things they've been given and that's you know certainly not the case for everybody but it seems like a growing a growing population of people no longer actually fears their gods sure yeah that's a good point i definitely think that um i think that Perhaps a reason for that, maybe in the Western context, is due to, you know, maybe maybe the dogmatic approach to a degree of Christianity, where 
Christianity itself is also a very devotional um, path, right? Like the love for Jesus and whatnot. But I think a lot of people, maybe at least Westerners, where they uh, maybe they fear that or they're maybe mm, apprehensive or whatnot, would be perhaps because they're, I think they're afraid of giving away maybe their, you know, uh, maybe maybe buying into an ideology too much or, um, you know, uh, it's sort of the fear of giving away your mind, I guess you would say, right? Whereas what's uh, what's really cool about your approach is it is that bhakti yoga, it is that devotional approach, it is that surrender, but you're not, <laughs> you're not pushing a dogma, you're not saying you have to, <laughs> you have to believe in everything I say. So it's sort of the devotion and surrender devoid of dogma would you say that's pretty pretty accurate yeah uh while this religion is definitely based in ancient egyptian culture i mean i have developed it into its own unique thing the way they did in hermopolis heliopolis you know so this is our own Kind of little branch of that religious devotion so that being said we don't have a list of religious laws and codes um because well i personally believe anyway that morality uh sense of right and wrong are human uh, so you don't need a God to tell you what those things are, you know, so we don't have that religious code. We do have um, nine principles, uh, but that's kind of more on the occult side of what I'm doing. Um, they're not laws by which to live your life, but sort of uh, these ideas to consider when you are trying to change things in your life. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, so you're free to believe whatever you want. Okay, that's I think great. a lot of people nowadays, and I'm, you know, this is a very multifaceted conversation, but I think a lot of people in the West are sort of used to buying their own beliefs back mm -hmm. from these established groups, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people are just still at the moment unable to just release themselves entirely uh, to religious devotion because if they did that, all of you know the hierarchy separating them from the divine would be unnecessary. So I think we are, I think what I'm doing, what the Church of Flesh and Feathers is doing is just one small part of a much larger religious wheel reawakening and mm -hmm. it's very exciting to see i know i'm not the only person doing what i'm doing and mm -hmm. i mean i hope one day to establish other shrines you know in other parts of the world and other parts of the country so it's a yeah. lot of, it's a very rewarding thing to watch happen yeah i'm looking forward to seeing the uh, overall growth and um also you know obviously we have COVID 19 but perhaps you know, once this sort of calms down, probably the spread of more physical temples and whatnot, right? And um, to, to go back on your point about, you know, people 
especially Westerners, right? Like not wanting to give in to something. I think that because I've been living in Asia for roughly 10 years and it's more, it's interesting seeing the cultural differences, right? Because in America, it's definitely more of an individualistic society, whereas in Asia, it's more of a group society. So you see less um, apprehension towards perhaps giving yourself into something, whether that be a god or Buddha or a societal, you know, society. Um, you know, like here, for example, even this is kind of off topic, but here it's like everyone would wear a mask because it's to protect everyone else, right? Whereas every time I see things online in America, it's like, it's my right. Like, it's a totally different way of seeing reality in a way that's, you know, one is very, very much focused on the individual. And then the other is more, you know, perhaps focused on a group or some other common good, right? And so, well, yeah, I mean, the West is definitely very splintered apart right now. Um, mm -hmm. Well, actually, that sort of alludes to one of the nine principles, one of the nine naturist principles uh, that I mentioned, uh, which is basically um, like the only way to really limit yourself is to admit something. So to assign a name or a label is to unassign other names and other labels. Mm -hmm. So without assigning any, any of those limitations, you're kind of free to be one with everything. But the more labels you apply to yourself, the more disconnected you become. America, at least, is a, very, is a, it's a fiercely individualized country. Uh, especially right now, everybody is sitting behind their computers, defining themselves on Facebook, uh, when in reality, who you say you are on the internet is usually very different than who you are in real life. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's definitely an issue, right? And, uh, it is definitely easy to fall into being extremely polarized if there are no consequences for your communication right it's uh yeah. you know it's a lot easier to be a, <laughs> to put it frank it's a lot easier to be a dick right uh online than face to face right because there's yeah, no and it seems like it's kind of more appealing to most people these days if you look at like william blake he created this mythos of albion right Victor mm -hmm. lindsay created butterfly town it is defining their cultures by the best of themselves. And the West, specifically the United States, seems to define itself by the worst of its qualities. So <laughs> with, with that in mind, I mean, it seems like people are just kind of competing uh, to who can portray the world in a darker light. And while there certainly are dark elements to this world, uh, I think people forget the power, their true power of language. Uh, I mean, we live in a world where the spoken word is a first degree weapon now. Um, you think about that teenager who um, was charged with first degree murder uh, talk by talking her boyfriend into suicide. Words really do have power. so. The more we focus on and the more we almost revere the darker elements 
the more power it's given. I don't know if that's a controversial thing to say or not. If it is, remove it. But mm -hmm. um, I don't know. It might be yeah. a self-righteous little tirade I'm getting on. <laughs> no, I think you make a good point, and I think that um, I think that you know, for many people, when they go throughout their day, you know, the the center of their focus is obviously or most likely themselves, right? You're thinking, how do I feel? Am I hungry? What do I want? And so I think that um, you offering this sort of devotion, this, uh, you know, especially since people can't always meet in person these days, even to attend one of your um, Facebook events, right? On the Church of Flesh and Feather and to whether it's you know 10 minutes 20 minutes an hour to spend some portion of your day perhaps um getting outside of that paradigm of yourself and sort of surrendering or focusing on a higher you know anything pretty much outside of yourself but sort of um allowing yourself to be enraptured or to be uh, in awe and respecting something greater than yourself i think that that time is very important and that even if it's a short time every day or weekly i think that that can really carry into over into your mindset and your actions and your behaviors in your day-to-day -day, you know mundane life right i think that would really that alone could really change um how people see each other and interact with each other yeah, i certainly hope so um mm -hmm. it's okay um I'm uh, I'm very curious so about Thoth. I I heard that you said um, in another podcast. I heard you mention there's like various uh, forms of Thoth, right? Like a lot of us are curious like, with like the ibis head um, uh, portrayal of him, but uh, you also mentioned there's like a baboon version. There's all these. There's several different um, manifestations, right? Like what are what are what yeah. are a couple of a few perhaps of the uh, common um, representations, and I heard you mention something about he he also he also provides himself a high colonic or an enema from time to time or something like that. I'm curious oh, about yeah. what's, what's the story um, behind that. That's pretty entertaining to say the least, right? Yeah. Well, Jahuti has uh, certain medicinal uh, qualities and associations. Uh, if you think about well, we still use some of the terminology. I mean, like a hermetically sealed container, you know, hermetically Hermes, you know, um, that all it's theorized kind of started when ancient Egyptians uh, observed ibises, yeah, basically sucking water up into their beak, shoving their beak up their butt between their legs and giving themselves an enema. Um, a lot of birds swallow tiny pebbles to kind of grind up the food inside of their stomachs, um, or they have very powerful gizzards. Ibises have neither, so they get blocked up from time to time. But yeah, the most kind of acknowledged forms of Jehuti, who is, you know, a god, a non-physical being, are an ibis-headed man uh, and a baboon. Uh, but that being said, scribes also acknowledged Jehuti as being their writing utensils, so their reeds, their ink, um, 
I think I have found a hymn referring to him as incense smoke. So with that in mind, if you kind of think of, you know, the whole idea that God is all, God is one, God is all. I personally try to figure out new ways to refer to God, to help myself and others observe him there. Um, so, yeah, I refer to him as the God of intoxicating smoke. That's one of the epithets. Um, the Lord of the Middle West, which, I mean, that's where I found him in the American Midwest. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I don't know. There's, I've got dozens. I'm going to be going over some of them in the class. And then the Litanies of Thoth is going to be, well, it's going to have many, many of them. One of my personal favorites is the all the all colors father who comes on waves of sound so oh, at that point cool. i know it's kind of psychedelic right uh yeah Jehudi it's like a psychedelic, is, psychedelic and, surfer yeah jehudi is uh associated in antiquity with you know color pigments art uh so that being said one way to honor him is to create for him so what you know what more fitting way of doing that than coming up with all these, you know, really far out names to refer to him by. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I did see, as I mentioned, I am taking uh, Jack Grail's course at Blackthorn. Um, and I saw that you have an upcoming course coming out. Is it next month? Is that right? Oh, yeah, March 8th. It's called Speak Thoth, Ancient Egyptian Magic in the Modern World. Oh, awesome. Okay. What does that, uh, I did kind of browse through it, but uh, maybe you can tell the audience a little bit about what the course includes, what it entails, and, you know, what, um, are there any, like, prerequisites for it? What can people expect um, if they take it? Well, there are no prerequisites, and people keep asking if it's going to cover my book, and it will not. Uh, I can't really guarantee everyone's going to have my book, but not only that, like, believe me, I know occult books are spendy, and <laughs> I wouldn't want to limit the experience that much, because um, you're already paying for this class, why would I make you pay more for my book, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so, but the class is going to kind of look at it's going to look at ways to continue the ancient practices into our modern world. Um, kind of the best, most dramatic example of this is ancient Egyptians used two different kinds of wands. Um, the Oriental Institute in Chicago has a number of the referred to as apotropaic wands. So they're made out of hippopotamus ivory and they kind of look like boomerangs and they're engraved with various demons and gods. Um, but they were used just to sort of cleanse your space. Um, now, with that in mind, they were using hippopotamus ivory to cleanse their space. Well, mm. in central Illinois, we don't have hippopotami and if we did, 
<laughs> certainly wouldn't be chasing them around to kill them for their ivory. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> right. So I, it might actually be illegal as well. <laughs> well, so. believe me, man. Out where I am, I am sure there are plenty of people who would charge at <laughs> the hippopotamus to uh, to hunt it down. But I'm not one of those people. Um, right. But we do have certain animals here that share a lot of qualities with hippopotami that people probably. Uh, wouldn't even think to associate the two. So what is a hippopotamus but a large animal that looks cute from far away but up close is actually kind of unpredictable and dangerous, right? Uh, well, we've got cows. Most people don't realize how violent cows can be. Um, they'll charge you and they won't run around you. They'll just kind of plow right through you. Um, my wife's grandfather was actually kicked by it. He's raises cows and he was kicked by one and broke a number of his ribs, you know, they're, uh, unpredictable and dangerous. So that being said, my wife and I were out in the woods one day and we found a whole entire cow skeleton. Uh, well, what is a piece of a cow that is long and curved like a worked piece of hippopotamus ivory? Uh, cow rib. So I picked up one of those ribs and I engraved it. So my apotropaic wand is a large cow rib. So, you know, there are ways of doing things uh, from antiquity today that maybe people just don't realize. We're going to look at uh, amulets, what their functions were and how to sort of customize them to today for today we're going to look at the concept of a sleep temple people are fascinated by their dreams uh and as well as their subconscious and they probably don't even realize how incredible of a tool your subconscious mind really is so we're going to explore that uh we're going to look at um well like three different forms of divination uh, one of which i actually created myself with the concept of the agduad or the eightfold in mind uh, most people are kind of familiar with the aeneid or the nine um, which is the creation story wherein atum creates the physical world but there's actually an older creation myth where um, well, depending on which one you look at, but for our purposes, we'll say Jehuti um, brought forth the Agduad, which is the eight, and they established concepts like infinity um, and vast, open, unobstructed space. Uh, so sort of um, the principles in which the world was allowed to be created if that makes any sense so i created this form of divination with that in mind to try to sort of give people the opportunity to commune with primordial time okay so it sounds very uh, comprehensive like you cover a divination and um kind of your own uh practice of divination and amulets and sort of using ancient practices for the modern world so yeah it definitely sounds very comprehensive it's uh it's a few months too right how long is the course does it run 
Uh, it's 13 weeks, mm-hmm. and I think it's going to be pretty comprehensive. Uh, to be totally honest with you, I am intensely socially awkward most of the time. Uh, <laughs> I mean, when I'm doing stuff of a religious nature, uh, I sort of have this you know, priestly mindset that I fall into. Uh, but when I have to be candid on camera, I am mm-hmm. <laughs> weird uh, and uh, <laughs> awkward. So um, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be comprehensive, uh, yet pretty casual at the same time, uh, because <laughs> I'm, I'm teaching this class with the hopes of continuing to build this community. Mm. So. Okay, cool. All right. Well, um, uh, you have the Church of Flesh and Feather on Facebook that people can find. And also the Blackthorn School has uh, links to your class called Speak Thoth. Is that right? Yep. And then okay, there cool. is the Sleep Temple of Tehuti on Spotify, mm-hmm. um, which, again, support me freaking out my neighbors and go listen to (laughs) Sleep Temple recordings. Uh, But then we have a YouTube channel as well, which is, it's the same stuff that's on the Facebook. Um, It's just not everybody has Facebook, you know, so Mm -hmm. I'm kind of trying to take over. Eventually I'll have some kind of an online store and I'm sure a website eventually. Uh, But to be completely honest with you, most of my tech um, Mm know-how is being developed almost specifically for uh, the Church of Flesh and Feather. Uh, See, I grew up uh, studying ancient languages and cultures. Uh, I kind of missed out on the computer stuff, so now I'm trying desperately to catch up, but I'm working on it. (laughs) Okay, as far as the uh, Sleep Temple stuff, too, you mentioned that's... uh... Uh, that's on Spotify. Are there any other, um, is it on YouTube or Facebook as well, or is it only available via Spotify? Uh, well, it's kind of only on Spotify. Some of the stuff, um, I'll go live on Facebook to record, uh, and mm-hmm. then I'll upload it onto Spotify. So there is something to experiencing this in front of an effigy of Thoth, you know, mm-hmm. with the incense, uh, crackling and the flame kind of casting moving shadows across Jehudi's face. So I do upload some of the videos uh, just for people who can't attend it live. Um, mm-hmm. But the Sleep Temple stuff is supposed to sort of be a guided meditation. So okay, most of it cool. is just on Spotify. Okay, cool. So uh, yeah, I'll include all the links to everything you mentioned and uh, really appreciate uh, you coming on today and really look forward to uh, seeing the evolution of the Church of Flesh and Feather and uh, definitely appreciate what you're bringing to the community. So thanks a lot. Well, right on, man. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And until next time.